Welcome to Emerge, and this is our podcast. Emerge is a place where we're all about raising champions fully devoted to Christ. We want to say thank you for joining us today. We hope that this message encourages and uplifts you. Enjoy the message. I am so excited to bring the word to you this morning. This past couple weeks, we've been talking about living your best life. How many people want to live their best life? I'll ask another question. How many people feel like they're already living their best life? Okay. (laughs) So you see that why we need this series, right? Many of us are still trying to figure out what, what is even this life thing about? What is this best? I mean, I hear it all the time, living my best life, hashtag living my best life. I see that all over the place. I'm like, what do you, what do you even know that that means? Huh? Because you, today happened to be a day that you have a nice picture on Instagram, right? Not like anybody saw when you were crying in your closet the day before, but you have this awesome picture you just happen to have the angles right. The light was perfect. And it's like, hashtag living my best life. I'm like, what, what is that? <laughs> but God wants us to live our best life. The life that God prepared for us was not supposed to be mediocre. The life God prepared for you and I was supposed to be awesome. It wasn't supposed to be the kind of life that you needed to put a post on social media to show. Your life every day is where God wants it to be and what God wants it to be. That you don't have to pretend. You don't have to fake it till you make it. You don't have to put that fake smile on so people don't know what's really going on. God wants every day of your life to be wonderful, to be awesome. And that's what this series has been really about. Like, what are those things that make you live your best life? And the first um, part of it, PJ talked about counting it all joy, even in the midst of trials and temptation. Let me tell you something. Trials and temptation, they are constants. No matter how much faith you have in God, There will always be trials. There will always be things that don't go your way. There will always be times when you feel discouraged. Not because God is wicked, but because he wants you to have joy despite those things. And that was what the first part was all about. How do we count it all joy? Distinguishing between trials and temptation. Temptations come from the devil. Trials come from God. Temptations are to extend your trials. If you fall into temptation, then you're extending the trial. And the second part of it, which was two weeks ago, we talked about love, lift, lend. It was majorly about love. What does it mean to love someone? What does it mean to lift people? What does it mean to lend your time, your resources? And what God has given you to other people. And so we've been through James 1, the first part of James 2, 
And now I'm going to be continuing in James 2, the second half of James 2. Now, how many of us know that what we believe is what works for us? Okay, let me ask that question again. Some people just snoozed. How many believe that what you believe is what works for you? If you believe negative things, negative things happen. If you believe positive things, positive things what? If someone told you that, my friend, that thing, if you touch it, is going to burn you. Hmm? Someone just told you, hey, don't touch that stuff. It's going to burn you. When you go near that stuff, are you going to touch it? Yes, some, some people touch it. Just for experiment's sake, they just touch it. And they will get burned. But most times, we don't. Because we believe what they said. And if somebody has told you that it's going to burn you, you don't want to check to see if, it's, if it will or not. You just believe what they're saying, right? And so, most times, our attitude, our behavior towards things come from what we believe about that thing. What we believe about whatever it is that we're being told. So, we as Christians, we've been told so many times, you're a child of God, you're made for greatness, you are, you, you know, you are who God says you are. You know, you are, you, are, you, are, you are a royal priesthood. We have all these, like, really fancy, right, Bible names and definitions. And yeah, to some extent, we believe it, right? I mean, I guess that's why you come back to church. You believe that whatever they are saying, there must be some truth to it, right? And that's where our faith lies is that sometimes we don't see what is being said. We're not experiencing it yet, but we believe that it's possible, right? And so today I'm going to be talking about the faith that works. Faith that what? Yep. And guess what? My name is Faith. So this is my favorite topic to talk about. But I think we've talked about faith in many different ways. I, I, there's hardly anyone here, at least if you've been to church at one point or the other, or you've listened to a sermon, even if you didn't grow up in a Christian home. That word faith, you've heard it many times, right? In fact, when people ask you about who you are, or they don't, I don't get that question, what's your religion? Except someone is being crude. I don't get that, like, like when someone wants to ask me what I believe in, right? They don't ask me what's your religion. They say, what's your faith? Right? Am I correct? People, oh, you know, oh, I belong to the Christian faith. Or I'm a Christian. Like, that's how we define our faith. And once you say that, people just kind of make all the necessary deductions from that statement, right? It means you believe in God, you believe in Jesus, you believe in the Holy Spirit, you believe in everything that comes with the definition of being a Christian. Right? And so... When I'm talking about faith today, I'm not talking about faith which is believing that God will do something for you. I think we've heard those sermons, right? Many times. And that's usually when we're preaching about faith is, oh, how do you 
like have really strong faith for that thing you're believing God for and everything. But today I'm coming from a different perspective and I'm talking about faith as belief. What you believe in. Not what you're looking up to God for. But faith as your belief. If you identify as a Christian or you say you belong to the Christian faith, what does that mean? What do people who encounter you see? What are they experiencing when you identify as a Christian? Right? And so that's where I'm going from today. Okay? So stay with me. Stay with me. Try to stay awake. I know the weather is changing and all of that stuff. But let's make this happen today. Okay? So... I'm going to read from James 2, verse 26. James 2, verse 26, and it says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So if we say our faith is that we believe in God, and we believe that the Bible is the ultimate manual and instruction from God about how to live that life of faith, then what does that all mean if we don't back it up with works? And I'm going to break down what works mean, because I know when I've heard this scripture before, you know, it's like, what does work m- works mean? Does it mean, oh, those things that I do to be able to maintain my faith? You know, like prayer, going to church, um, you know, I don't want to have faith for an exam, and I'm not studying for it. I mean, when we've done Bible studies about it, I feel like that's kind of the direction we go, right? Is that you're not, you need to back up your faith with, like, works like (laughs) that's the word (laughs) works like okay what are you doing to back up the faith you're not just praying but you're actively doing something to make that faith meaningful that's kind of what we talk about in church but matthew 7 verse 21 matthew 7 verse 21 you know when we talk about faith and our christian faith and all of those things it's interesting because god also has conditions about what kind of faith works. And he said in Matthew 7, 21, said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Some versions say, but he who does the works of my Father in heaven, meaning it's not enough to identify with the Christian faith. It's not enough to lift up your hands and say, Lord, Lord, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, I believe in the resurrection. But what guarantees you entrance into heaven, which is what we are all walking towards, eternal life with Christ, is doing the will, the works of our Father. That's what that means. So the Bible is loaded with different descriptions of what's considered works. Right? 
But many people misinterpret what faith without works is dead means. But James was very specific. James was talking about actions and deeds that are evidence of our faith in God. The things we do that are evidence of our faith in God. So it's important that you know that works follows faith. Work is not... I've heard people say before, like, oh, this person is going to make it to heaven. Oh, for sure. That person, ah, the gates of heaven is wide open for him. And you'll be wondering why are they saying that? Oh, the person is a philanthropist. You know, they do so many good things for people. That ah, If God does not take this one to heaven, I don't know who's going to make it to heaven, no. Because we are defining their position in heaven or their entrance to heaven based on works alone. But good works alone does not guarantee salvation. You can be the best person, you know, always kind, always loving, you know, be the, 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 the person that everyone wants to go to for help. But good works alone is not enough to guarantee your salvation. You need works that follows faith. Meaning you have to be saved first and then add to that salvation works. Doing the things that God has instructed as what he expects from his children. And the Bible doesn't mean word about what he, he says. The Bible is very clear. Okay? So, let me read Ephesians 2. Because now that we've said that works alone does not guarantee entrance into the kingdom, then what, 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 how do we get saved? How do we experience salvation? Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not for yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Your salvation is through faith. Your salvation is not through works. Because if we were entering heaven through our works, then many of us would be able to say, I made it. I did it. I did what it took to make it to heaven. But no, the Bible is clear about this. It's through our faith. But you don't even, can, you can't just have faith. You, ha- you need grace to have that type of faith. You need grace to be able to confess, to believe, and to live by your confession of faith. Okay? Now, works are the fruit of our salvation. It's not the means by which we end salvation. That being said, once we are saved, we are expected to do good works. I was just trying to lay the foundation to distinguish between faith and works. But now that we understand that we are saved by faith, 
we now have to understand where that statement comes from. Faith without works is dead. So I'm just going to go over a couple of things. All right? The characteristics of a faith that works. Before I go into these characteristics, Matthew 5 verse 16. Matthew 5 16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We've talked about light, we've talked about salt, we've talked about being examples and reflection of God. We talk about all of these things in church. But what it means is that what actions, what deeds are you doing that people can see and say, this is a child of God? Your best life is not complete if people cannot see that reflection of Christ in you. And what is the thing that reflects? What reflects? Light reflects. If this room is dark and someone walks in with a candle, no matter what point in the room you are, even if your part of the room is really dark, right? You're going to see that light. Am I correct? Because God wants us to be in the midst of darkness, but still shine through. To reflect even in the midst of darkness. So it's not enough to say, oh, oh, my faith, oh, this is who I am, I'm a child of God. But are you shining even when you're surrounded by darkness? Is your faith the type of faith that is drawing people? Has anyone ever seen those like um, insect killer, bug killers? Those ones that are light. Oh my gosh, that thing always mesmerizes me. Like I can stare at it because it's always amazing how you just see all these flies. It's like they can't control themselves. Just going towards it. I'm like, you're going to your death. But like they're just going because they can't resist that light. So that's the kind of person that God wants you to be. That light that shines in darkness. That light that shines where? In darkness. So when I talked about the characteristics of faith that works, the first thing is that faith is not sentimental. It's not about your feelings or being moved. <laughs> I've seen people go after a service. You know, maybe the, the service was very powerful. You know, the preaching, everything, the atmosphere was powerful. We have a lot of sentimental Christians. They will leave that service. Oh my God, my faith in God has been renewed. I can do all things. And they, will, like, they can speak in tongues as they're talking to you. Like, that's how inspired. Like they're all in their feelings in that moment. It's like, oh, that pastor, oh my God, she's the best thing. See, I've never heard a sermon like that before. I'm so excited. Go and see them by Monday. They're like, where did all the feelings? Because so many people's faith is sentimental. They just want to go to worship and lift up their hands and cry. You know, the tears running down the side of their face. To them, that's what justifies them. As children of God, you know, that fervency. But it's not sentimental. It's not about your feelings. 
faith in God is more than sentiments. Let's look at the story of Abraham. God had promised him a child for so many years. He was 90. Basically, God was telling him, I will do the impossible in your life. Nobody was getting a child at 90. And God is telling him, have faith in me. I'm going to do this stuff for you. And then the testimony comes. Then the child comes. <laughs> and guess what God told him to do? To go and sacrifice the child. Like, believe me, I'm going to be sentimental in that case. Like, God, are you for real? You know how many years I had to wait for this testimony? Like, I put my faith in you because of this thing you said you were going to do for me. And now you're telling me to bring that thing back. And sac- How many of you will do it? of us won't. Because our faith many times is staked on what God can do for us. Not who God is. Our sentiment, our feelings are about, oh, I'm only coming to church when God has been good to me. That's when I feel like worshipping him. If I'm not happy, don't, you won't see me in church. I don't have time for all that. Something doesn't go the way you want. Something you've been praying to God for doesn't go the way you want. You, all, you get all up in your feelings. God has messed me up, man. The same God that you were lifting holy hands and crying. Lord, I love you. And then when push comes to shove, he's not good enough anymore. Because our faith is so sentimental. It's all about how we feel. You come to church when you feel like it. You wake up in the morning, you roll on the side of your bed. Alarm, ah, I don't feel like going to church, Joe. What is all this? Just turn off the alarm, you just roll back. But when you are having exams and you need something from God, oh, they won't, you won't wait for the alarm to go off. You are up, you are waiting for the bus. Before anybody, because we're all sentimental. Our faith is so determined by how we feel. We define God by how we feel. He's either good when we feel good or he's not so good when we don't feel so good. James 2 from verse 21 to 23. Just following up on Abraham. It says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by his works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and he was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. I am a friend of God. You like that song? Do you have what it takes to even sing that song? Many of us has, have best friends, even when they hurt us and they offend us. Because of how we feel about them, we still go back, make amends, and move on, right? But we can't translate that to our faith. We can't, because we are all sentimental. But faith is not sentimental. Number two, faith is practical. Faith is not by words only. Faith is practical. 
Every time we heard about Jesus in the Bible, he was doing something practical to the people that followed him. When they were hungry, he fed them. He didn't say, oh, thank you for listening to me. I'm so glad you came out and followed me through the wilderness. You can go back home now. Your faith has made you filled. No. He did what it took to feed them. So some of us, if somebody comes to you, they have a problem. Oh, I've been going through this thing. Oh, I have faith for you, brother. I just want to pray for you. The person said they need money. You have the money. But you are all spooky spiritual. I have faith. I will pray. Ah, now I will pray for you. God is going to do that thing in your life. When you have the answer. You are the testimony that that person is waiting for. But you choose to look good in their eyes as that's Christian brother. But of what good is your faith if you cannot show it by works? Of what good is that faith that is not practical? Faith produces compassion in us. Every time you saw Jesus healing somebody in the, in the New Testament, what, did, what would that place say? You see, and he was moved by compassion. He saw the blind. He was moved by compassion. And he healed them. He saw the lame. He was moved by compassion. And he healed them. He didn't say, go and come back. When they, he had what it took to solve their problem. The faith that God wants from us is a practical kind of faith. Don't go around saying, oh, I, I, love, I, love, I love people. I'm a child of God. I love people. Yet they come around and they say, oh, we are going on mission to help people. We are raising funds to help this for Operation Christmas Child for this. Oh, that's amazing. You go around and you tell people, oh, my church, you know, they're, they're very charitable. And $5 of your money is not in the charity. Nothing practical. You just want to show and pretend that you're doing the works. But there's no practical evidence of the works. And James talked about it again in James 2. James 2, 15 to 17. He says, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. What's the profit of somebody coming to meet you because they believe that you are a child of God and you have compassion and you have love? And then they come to meet you for help, but you don't give them the practical things they need. Somebody tells you, oh my gosh, you know, some winter is coming and I don't even have enough money to go to the store to get jackets. Like all the stuff I had from last year, so old and everything. Yet you have a closet full of jackets. In fact, you change one every day. You wear a different jacket every day. And somebody just told you they literally will be going cold this winter because they don't have enough money to buy a jacket. Or you even see them. Sometimes they don't even have to say it. You see it. You notice. And you will tell your friends, you see that it's those two I want jackets that this girl has been wearing. 
He said, you turn it into a topic of gossip, of condemnation, of, of judgment. Meanwhile, you can solve that person's problem. You can wipe that shame off that person's face. You have it. Call them the next day. You come to church. On the next week, I brought a bag of stuff for you. I hope you don't mind. Not everyone is comfortable with getting stuff from other people. But I just got this stuff and I just felt maybe you might need it. And I brought it for you. Why not? That's the kind of faith that God wants from us. A faith that is practical. And finally, faith transforms lives. If your own version of faith leaves people the same way you met them, or even worse, because sometimes the church is sometimes the worst place for people to encounter people. I mean, let's be real. Some of you have been hurt by church people. You didn't transform their life. You degraded their lives. You borrowed money from them. You borrowed money from them. You promised to pay. Next thing, you're running from, away from them in church. You see them entering the bathroom. You run back out. You will not enter the bathroom because you don't want them to ask you for their money. How many lives have you transformed? How many people can point to you and say, if not for this girl, who stood by me? Even if you don't have substance, if you don't have material, you don't have something to give, have you given your time? Have you given your energy? Have you given of prayer? Transforming lives. The faith that moves mountains. Mountains don't just move. When the Bible says you should have faith as small as a mustard seed and it will move mountains. It's, a, it's, it's something about action. Mountains don't just move. I mean, go and try it and push it. You will know that the mountain does not move for anybody. It's actions that move mountains. What are you doing to transform lives? Are you the one that keeps taking and taking? And you don't learn to give? I want to read from the book of John 15. John 15. I'll read from verse 12. It says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. It said, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I have appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should remain. And that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give you. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. But guess what? I realize people just read that last part. They don't read everything that came before it. 
For I have faith that whatever I ask the Father in his name, he will give you. But have you laid down your life for a friend? Have you shown love? Have you chosen to be the answer to someone else's problem? What is the point of your faith and wanting to receive from God if you are neglecting God's children? What is the point of your faith if you're coming to church and you want the church to help you in your time of need? You want people to be there for you in your own time of need, but you've not been there for anybody. Another season is coming. Some of you are looking up to God for something before the end of this year. You have had faith. Maybe the reason why you've not answered your, God has not answered your prayers. What are your works this year? From January to October. We're in the 10th month. You've been looking up to God. You've prayed. You've done everything spiritually listed. In fact, you've checked all the boxes of what you are supposed to do to show your faith to God. But maybe you've missed something. Have you added works to that faith? It's not too late. This is actually the best time of the year because it's the giving season. We're stepping into that giving period. It's time to show and back up that faith that you have. Because God has so much that he wants to do. He wants to surprise you beyond your imagination. But have you given him a chance? Have you proven to God that you deserve it? By default, as a child, he has the provision made. That thing you're looking up to God for, it's not impossible for God to do it in less than 24 hours. But like he said, what are your fruits? God wants us to bear fruit. Our fruit are our works, the things that we do, our actions. What fruit have you yielded this year? How many people can point to you and say, you transformed my life? You changed my life. You showed me love. Because God chose you. Who have you chosen? Who have you chosen to be there for? I want us to rise up on our feet this morning. Sometimes I don't preach the messages that are very exciting. Sorry, I try to be the voice of reason. <laughs> but I do hope that someone here who has proclaimed with PJ earlier in the service that God is not done yet understands what they need to do to unlock those things God has for them for the end of this year. So I want you to lift up a voice and say, Father, help me to back up my faith with works. Works that are acceptable to you. Works that will unlock the testimony that I'm looking for. Let's begin to pray. Thank you for joining us and a special thanks to those of you who give to our service. It is because of you we are able to spread the gospel and touch the souls of young adults. If you'd like to give, you can do so on our app, Emerge Champs, or go to our website, www.emergechamps.org. We pray you have a blessed week and see you next time. Bye.